again for having me and my family this morning. It is our pleasure to be here. And it is, uh, it, is all, it always causes my heart to rejoice to see the Lord God work in all aspects of a, of a, of a church service. Not only, in the, uh, not only in the preaching is the Lord God at work. He is at, he is at work and, and, and you, you now that you let the Lord God lead you and what, what hymns to speak. The Lord God knows what he's going to lead the preacher to preach as well. The, I could not have asked for uh, a better selection for this morning's message. Will you open the word of God this morning to Psalm 11? Psalm 11. The title of this message is If the Foundations Be Destroyed. Always remember, God will take care of you. He will, he will uh, provide all your needs. I'd like to read this, this psalm in your hearing. Psalm 11, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately or secretly shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. There are many instances in which the child of God will experience in this life. Some heartbreaking and some heartwarming, some fond memories we can think of right now, and some memories that are not uh, so pleasant. Some memories that are that are rather miserable. There, this text before us lays out the inspired reaction of a child of God to a world that is less than promising. This may hit home. This may hit home for some. Let us let us examine this passage. It begins with the child of God's reaction to ungodly advice. Here. Verse 1, in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Here, David is given advice from an advisor, a counselor, or a servant that he must flee. Things are not going his way. We know that that, that, that did happen. But here, he does not flee. How say, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? He is appalled that this person would offer such ungodly counsel. Now, there are times to flee. There are times to flee. The, the Lord God says, says through Jeremiah, come to Jeremiah 38, I just want us to examine a few passages where, where they are told to flee or to not stay and fight because there are times in which we are told not to do such a thing. Jeremiah 38 if you'll, if you'll remember the book of Jeremiah, uh, Judah and Jerusalem have really gone their own way. The Lord God brings about the promises that He made in Deuteronomy thirty or Deuteronomy twenty-eight to the to the Israelites. If you walk in My ways, I will bless you. You you will be blessed beyond belief. But if you do not, 
I will bring upon you all, all exactly the opposite. All the curses of the earth will fall upon you. You will be spread amongst all the kingdoms of the earth. This happens in the, in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 38. Jeremiah has been saying the entire time, Surrender to the Babylonians and you will live. Surrender to them and this city will not be destroyed. But if you do not surrender, it will be destroyed. He's thrown in prison because the people do not want to hear that word. They do not want to hear what the Lord God says. They have all of these other false prophets that are saying, No, no, no. The temple of the Lord is here. The temple of the Lord is here. Implying... That the Lord God, He has to have His temple. He's going to protect it at all costs. The Lord God does not dwell in temples made of hands. He did have a have a special home there, but even Solomon understood. You don't. You can't dwell in this in this house that I have built. The heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, let alone this house that I have built. The temple was a special place, but the Lord God did not need it. He would fulfill. He is faithful to fulfill all that He has promised to do even cursing those who don't walk in his ways, fulfilling those promises upon Israel. Jeremiah is thrown into prison. King Zedekiah comes to him secretly and says, I, tell, tell me, tell me, what is, what is the Lord saying? What is, what is really the word of the Lord? Because he can't really say that, can he? Jeremiah 38 and verse 17, just to give you the context. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, after Jeremiah has made him promise not to kill him, because he's not going to like what he has to say. Verse 17, Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon, surrender unto the king of, of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live in thine house. If you stay and fight, or if you flee, if you, if you run away, if you do not do as the Lord God says and surrender, this city will perish, and you and all your sons will die. You, this, everything will go exactly the opposite of the way that you want it to go. Zedekiah does not hearken to that advice. He, he instead attempts to run away, attempts to, attempts to flee, and he is caught, and he, all of his sons are killed, and then his eyes are put out. That's the last thing he sees. A horrible, horrible way to go. He should have listened. He should have listened, but he would not. He would not. There is a time to not stay and fight. There, there is one of them come to the New Testament. Our Lord God gives, gives uh, an exhortation in Matthew chapter 10 about when his disciples are undergoing persecution, what they are to do. 10 and 23. And when they, per but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. There was, a, there was a time to flee. There was a time to not stay and fight. They were not to fight against that persecution, but they were, they were to run away. David is in a, has received no such word. David has received no such word to not stay and fight. Matthew 24, 16, speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem yet future. Amen. He says, those that are in the field that see the destruction coming, they are to not go down to their house. They are not to go down to their house to grab their clothes and grab their stuff and run. They are to run. They are to get out of there immediately. They are to do it, they are to do it immediately. They are not to, uh, to think about it. 
They are to, they are to uh, run away. Second Timothy is another place where we are told, where we are told to flee. Young men, pay attention. Second Timothy 2 and 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that can call that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He doesn't say stay and fight youthful lusts. He says, flee them, you will not win. You will not win. Young, young people, we us older people know what it's like. Flee it. Run from it. It is not a fight you will win. Joseph, with Potiphar's wife, when she came on to him, he didn't stick around. He didn't stick around. He wanted nothing to do with that. He fled. There is a time to flee. But in our text, David makes it clear that he had received no such word. He is appalled. He is appalled at his servant's advice telling him to flee. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6, just to show you that there is, uh, that, that there are God's people that won't flee. Here, Nehemiah 6 and verse 10. Afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee, speaking to Nehemiah. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee? He had received no such word. That he, that he should run and hide at these people that would seek after his life. And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. He knew. He, he was given discernment by the Lord God that this is not what he should have done. He had received no such word that he should flee. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and, and Sanballat had hired him. They had hired him. They wanted, they, they wanted to have a, an evil report on Nehemiah. Look at him. He's terrified. We need a different leader. They wanted, they wanted to have that against him, but he would not. God gave him that, that perception. The Lord Christ said in John chapter 10, the hireling is the one that flees. The one who, who believed he had the oversight, but the sheep were not actually his. He flees, but the shepherd doesn't flee. Those whose sheep, those, whose, uh, those uh, who has the oversight of the sheep, he does not flee. The shepherd, or, and that could be applied to the under-shepherd, the pastor, he does not flee either. But the one that flees, he's an hireling and not a shepherd. Here, David, a true, a true shepherd, an under-shepherd. Uh, and, and he understood exactly what all a shepherd was supposed to do. When the bear and the lion came after his sheep, what did he do? He didn't run away. He fought with his own hands. And the Lord God delivered, delivered those animals, those beasts into his hand. And he was just a boy. He understood that he was not to flee. That he was the one who had been given the oversight of God's people. And him fleeing in this situation would have been seen as a sign of weakness. And a walking by sight. And not by faith. And that is exactly what his advisor, whoever gave this advice, was prescribing to him. You need to walk by sight. And not by trusting in the Lord God. He is appalled at that, uh, at that advice. Here in verse 2. We see why the, why the advisor gave that advice. This is what they intend to do. This is what the wicked, this is the, the, the child of the devil's intent. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately 
or secretly, or it could literally be translated in darkness. In darkness, shoot at the upright in heart. This, it is good to know the facts. Facts are good, but it is better to trust in the Lord God. It's good to know the facts. It's good to understand what it is that they intend to do. But understand that, that God does not allow the wicked to do everything that they want to do. Amen. He frustrates their counsels. It is only the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Psalm, Psalm 33, I, I believe it is. Psalm 30, yes, it is Psalm 33. Uh, verse, verse 10, verse 9, you, you, this passage is familiar. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Verse 10, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught or to nothing. He maketh the devices, the thoughts, the imaginations of the people of none effect. What they intend to do, they do not always get to accomplish. He brings it to nothing. He brings what they intend to do, they don't get to do it. But it is the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of His heart to all generations. A contrast. A contrast be, being, being given there. The Lord God, He accomplishes all His good purpose. But men especially the wicked men, do not get to accomplish all that they desire to do. Here, it doesn't matter what, they, what their intent is. Amen. David is still astonished at the advice to flee. They, they seek to, to shoot, literally in darkness, at the upright at heart. Not just, not just actually, not just uh, physically shoot at the upright at heart from darkness, that is, but also metaphorically, absolutely. David's son sought to undermine his father. He was in the gates saying, my father, he's up in his, he's up in his pretty palace. He doesn't care about you, but oh, I care about you. I care about you, you the people. I care about you. I'm down here with you. He didn't care about them. He wanted to kick his father out off his throne and take it. He, uh, his, his mother was a princess of a pagan nation. And no doubt, when he fled after having killed his half-brother, he went to that pagan nation, to his grandfather that took him in and, and no doubt filled his head full of garbage. The garbage of, you're, you're, a, you're a prince. You deserve to be sitting on the throne. You're not in my kingdom, so you can't have this one, but you can have your father's. Go undermine him. Go, go instruct the people that he is a wicked, a wicked king. Wickedness, that is what they intend to do. That is what the wicked intend to do. They intend to undermine the, up, the upright at heart. Not only actually shoot at them, as Absalom did, but also undermine, also metaphorically under, uh, shoot at them, just as Absalom did both. We come to verse 3. If they succeed, if they succeed, this is their intent. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, this term foundations, we understand in, in English what a foundation is. A foundation is something that upholds something else. We're, we're told the church is the foundation and pillar of truth. Now, that isn't... Uh, truth is not built upon the church. We uphold the truth, the Word of God. Foundations uphold something. They're the base, the, the root of something. You don't, you don't just start building a house with the walls. It would be a bad way to do it. I know that it has been done that way in the past, and many of those houses don't stand any longer. 
You build, and, and the Lord Christ said, you build your, you dig down, you build your foundation upon the rock. He is that rock, by the way. You build your foundation upon the rock, not upon sand. You, a foundation is something that, that uh, upholds something else. Now, the only other time that this Hebrew term is used is in Isaiah chapter 19. Will you turn there with me? We can see, see how else it is used. Isaiah 19 is the burden of Egypt or the oracle of prophecy against Egypt. In, ch in chapter 19 and verse, nine, or verse 10, excuse me. And they shall be broken in the purposes thereof. Purposes is, our, is the same Hebrew term translated foundations. Now when you do something, the purpose with which you do it is what undergirds why you did that thing. Right. Same term, foundations. What undergirds something else. What the, the, found, the, the foundation is what undergirds a house. A purpose is what undergirds a, a, an act or what you're intending to accomplish. You might have a marginal reading that reads this way. Its foundations, as in Egypt. Egypt's foundations shall be broken. What undergirds their society will be broken in, in that day that's being spoken of. What undergirds their society to, to bring this home to us. If the Christianity of a Christian nation be taken out. What can the righteous do? If the foundations, if the mode of thinking, if the thing that united a people be taken out, what can the righteous do? Men will say, no, this is not a Christian nation. It was never intended to be. George Washington said in his farewell address, this statement, which men don't like to acknowledge, this statement, they want to say that there were only three things, he said. Three, three uh, great truths he put in that farewell address. Don't have a two-party system, which is true. Don't have a two-party system, and what do we have today? Right. Right. Uh, the, the other one, don't get too involved in foreign affairs. We failed that also. And there, there's another one I can't, can't quite remember. Maybe it's debt or something, something of that nature. Again, great failure. But there's a fourth that men do not want to acknowledge. He said this, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity. You want political prosperity? You enjoy all the, all the material wealth that we've been given in this country? You enjoy all the blessings from God that we've been given in this country? Religion and morality are indispensable supports. And to them, there was only one religion. Christianity. Why does he link morality with it? Because when this goes, so goes morality. One of the other founding fathers said that the Constitution is only good for a moral and religious people. And it is wholly inadequate for any other. Again, religion and morality, Christianity and morality linked together. Why is it wholly unfit for, why is it un, not good enough for any other type of people? Because there will not be a common, a common understanding that there is a day of judgment. That there, that there is a God who sees all things. There won't be enough laws. There won't be enough police officers. There won't be enough, enough things to regulate man if there's no understanding that there is a God and that, there, and that he is angry every day. That he is angry with the wicked every day. If the Christianity of a Christian nation be taken out, what can the righteous do? If the foundations, if the thing that undergirds the society be destroyed, 
what can the righteous do? You notice in verse 4, he does not say, okay, you, you, you do this, and then, and then you set up Congress this way, and then you, you do all of these things, and you get the majority of the people to be moral, and you do all of these things. Notice he doesn't give that answer. He doesn't say, you people, you must do this. Where do his eyes go? His eyes go to heaven. We have no power. We cannot do it. We cannot, we cannot accomplish. We cannot rebuild the foundations ourselves. We have no power to accomplish that. His eyes go to the Lord God. His eyes go to the Lord God. When things are going down, down here, he looks up. And he sees that the Lord God is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. He sees that the Lord God is in his holy temple. And that he is on his throne. His, his throne is in heaven. Now come, uh, come to Habakkuk. He understands that, that it is the Lord God. He is the only one that can help. So he looks to him. We can do nothing without him. Just as Jesus said, without him, we can do nothing. If we're not, if we're not attached to the vine, we're cast forth as a branch. There's, there is, we have no power in and of ourselves. He, our Lord God is exactly aware of everything that's going on. But He is unaffected. Now He cares about His people. He cares about what we're going through. But what goes on on this earth doesn't affect Him. And here in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 19, there's a woe pronounced upon the people. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. They're worshiping a, a creation of man. They're worshiping an idol. They're saying, oh, the idol is going to awaken. And, and uh, the, the dumb stone, the mute stone, it can't talk. But behold, it's going to teach. And we put silver and gold over it. Oh, it looks so wonderful. But the Lord is in His holy temple. He knows, he knows exactly what men are doing. He sees what's going on. He is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. We examined Isaiah 6 a little bit this morning. Will you turn back there with me? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6.1, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. So notice He gives a historical crosshair on the text. In the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah, a, a, a good king, when he died, there was much turmoil. There was much concern over what was going to happen. Who was going to reign? Who would, how were they going to reign? What's going, what is going on in this world? Where do, what does Isaiah see? He sees the Lord sitting upon the throne. He isn't milling about. He isn't wringing his hands. He isn't even standing. He isn't pacing. He isn't wondering, oh man, what am I going to do? I didn't know Uzziah was going to die. I don't have a plan for this. The Lord God is sitting. What do you and I do when we have a grave concern? When something happens that we don't know what to do, we, we at least stand up. We rarely sit down and are, are highly stressed. We at least stand up and, and wonder what we're going to do. The Lord God is not concerned. He is sitting upon a throne. He is seated 
very calm, high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings with two with twain. He covered his face with twain. He covered his feet and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is in turmoil and is gravely concerned over what's going on. No, the whole earth is full of His glory. Everything is going according to the Lord, the Lord God's eternal purpose. Everything is going according to plan. God knew that King Uzziah was going to die. God had a plan for what was going to go thereafter. He is, he is unconcerned. He is unaffected. It does not affect him what exactly happens in this world. He is greatly concerned about us, and he, he watches over us, as we'll see. As we'll see. He is very aware of what's going on, and that is where David's eyes go. David's eyes go to the Lord God, and he sees that he is on his throne. His eyelids behold the Lord God's eyelids behold. His eyelids try, or they test, they prove the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous. He, this, is, this is what He does. And it is a wonderful thing that He tests us. It seems like a harsh thing. It seems like a grievous thing that He would test us, that He would prove us. Come to 1 Peter, just so we, just so we have a, a more sure word that that is truly what He does. 1 Peter 1.7 That the trial, that the proving, that the testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried or proved or tested or refined with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Why is it a good thing? He doesn't test us for His sake. He knows all things. We live by the faith of the Son of God. That's the faith we have. The life that we now live in the flesh, we live by the, by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. We, it isn't for His sake that He tests us. It's for our sake. That we may learn not to lean upon the arm of the flesh. That we may learn to lean upon the everlasting arms of our Lord God. That we may learn to do that. It is for our sake that He tests us. That we will understand I don't need to lean on myself. I don't need to look to man. I don't need to trust the chariots and the horses. That I can trust in the Lord God to fulfill all His good pleasure, to fulfill all of His promises. All that He said He will do, He will accomplish. He tests us for our benefit. His eyelids behold, His eyelids try the children of men. He trieth the righteous, but notice the contrast. He does not do that with everyone. He does not try everyone in the same way he tries the righteous. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. There is a great deal of people that our Lord God hates. And he hates with a perfect hatred. Psalm, Psalm 1, 139, I believe that it is. Psalm 139, here David describes his hatred this way. I, David, hate them the enemies of God, with perfect, complete, righteous hatred. I count them mine enemies. A perfect hatred. There is a perfect hatred. And our Lord God hates with it. He hates with a perfect hatred. 
He hates the wicked, and he hates him that loveth violence. He hates the wicked and the violent man. This, uh, this same hate is used in Psalm 5 and verse 5. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou, the Lord God, hatest all workers of iniquity. Present tense. He hates them in that day, David's day, and hates them in our day. All workers of iniquity. Now, the Lord's people, they may, they may sin, but they are not characterized by that sin. There, we are, we, we when, when the Lord God saved us, we were no longer sinners, but saints. Praise the Lord. Amen. We may still sin, but we're not characterized by that sin. And it is not something that the Lord God allows us to live in. Chastisement. Husbands, you, you, you chasten your children, you discipline them, you instruct them in the way of righteousness. Our Lord God does the same with us. He is not a derelict father. He does not allow us to run amok. He will chasten and discipline us, and that is the evidence. We, we will stray. We will not always walk perfectly. And the evidence of us being sons of God is the fact that He brings us back. But he does not allow us to go our own way. The people that He gives over, read Romans 1, they're not His. He gives them over, He gives them over, He gives them up. Three times in, that, in Romans 1. He gives the people over. Those are not His. To do the things that are unseemly. Uh, wickedness, horrible things in that, in that passage. But here, He hates he hates with a perfect hatred. And there are, pe there are people that he hates. This same hate is the same hate that fools have for knowledge in the, in the Proverbs. They hate knowledge. They hate wisdom with a, with a complete hatred like the Lord God hates the wicked. The same, with that same fullness of hatred. And verse 6, what he does unto the wicked, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, Fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Now, this snare, this snare, I'd like, like for you to see that this is language, what he returns upon them is the snare that they lay, that they lay for others. Come to Psalm 5. We'll look at just a few passages that say this. There are so many more. Psalm 5 and verse 10. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. What they sought to do, what they came together and discussed, the plan that they had to destroy others, let them fall by that counsel. Let them fall by that plan. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. And that's Psalm 510 and 11. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them love also, or let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 7, verse 15. He made a pit and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. That's not returning a snare upon their own head. I don't know what is. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come upon his own pate or his own crown. Come upon his, again upon his own head. Psalm 9, verse 15. 
the heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they lay, which they hid, is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion, Selah. Higion, meditate on that. Selah, pause. Think on that. A, a, a double giving, a, 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 a double given there for an extra. Really ponder and think upon what is being what is being said there. Ten and verse two. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices, the thoughts, the imaginations, what the things that they come up with in their own head that they have imagined. Let them be taken in what they seek to do to others. I could go on, and we'd be here all day. Just in the Psalms, uh, there's at least a dozen of, thing, of, of times where something exactly in that manner is said. Not to mention all the times where it actually happened. What did, what did Pharaoh seek to do to the, uh, the Hebrew boys? Drown them. How did he die? He drowned. What did Haman seek to do to Mordecai? Haman. Hang him in a gallows. What happened, what happened to Haman? He was hanged on the same gallows. Time and time and time again, the Lord God rains snares upon the wicked. The snares that they laid for others, he returns upon their own head. The violence that they sought to do to others is returned upon their own pate, their own crown. But he's not done there. He does. He, re, he gives them fire and brimstone. He returns. He gives that to them just as he did Sodom and Gomorrah. There is a place that also burns with fire and brimstone. The lake of fire. The wicked and the man that loveth violence, they will get that one day. They have not been tossed into that place yet. But hell and death and the false prophet and the beast, they will all suffer for eternity in the lake of fire, a place that burns with fire and brimstone, and then horrible tempest. Now this area of the world, the Middle East, suffers huge uh, destructive sandstorms. You, you may have seen some of the pictures. I mean, they, they just demolish things. What happened, what happened in the Great Depression here in Oklahoma? was, was a, a, a small portion of what happens there on uh, a fairly regular occasion. It's a horrible, a horrible thing that goes on. It gives that to them. But not only that, this word tempest is translated spirit many times. An evil spirit. 1 Samuel 16, 18, and 19, where God sent an evil spirit upon Saul, where he where he could not be at peace with David, though David had done nothing to him, where he tried to kill David time and time again, an evil spirit did he cast upon him. That's what he does with the wicked. Abimelech and the people that, that he reigned over, that then turned upon him, that turned on him. God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the people he ruled over, that they would turn against him and that he would die. That is what the Lord God gives the wicked and the man that loveth violence. He takes care of that. We don't have the power to do that. If we take it into our own hands, they won't get. They won't get what the Lord God will give them. The Lord God can do it much better than we could ever than we could ever do it. Why does he why does he give that to them? Why does he give them what they deserve? Because the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. And he will have righteousness. He will have that righteousness. He, he gives them what their works deserve. Their works are abominable. 
So he gives them abominations. He gives them what they deserve. Oh, but shouldn't he just give them grace? If they demand grace, get it, that grace is no more grace. Grace cannot be demanded. The Lord God gives them as they deserve. But notice what he does with us. Very last portion of verse 7. His countenance doth behold the upright. His face, he looks after the upright. He looks after us, amen. If it wasn't for him, we'd be lost. He, he, even if we, he, had, he had opened our eyes to the scriptures and, and all, of the, all the wonderful truths found in it, if he didn't look after us, we couldn't, we couldn't walk in this world. We wouldn't know what to do. We would, we would be unprotected on every side. But the Lord God, He looks after us. The Lord God beholds us. He keeps us. He watches over us. He provides for us. Our Lord God will take care of you. Like, again, it, it always baffles me and causes me to rejoice when the Lord God works in such a way that, that, the, that the hymns that we sing follow right in line with the, way, with the way the message is going to go. Not only does He behold us, but we're promised, Matthew 5, 8, that the pure, the pure in heart, they shall see God. We will behold Him. Now, very quickly, I would like to give you a full-orbed example of this truth, of what, of what we're being taught in this psalm. Come to, come to the, second, the, book of the, the second book of the Kings. 2 Kings 18. We'll go very quickly. I know, I know my time is drawing near. 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18 and verse 29. Here uh, we see Hezekiah and, and uh, uh, the, the Assyrians have come upon Israel. Thus saith the king. This is Rabshakeh speaking, a, a, uh, uh, an Assyrian officer. Then Rabshakeh, uh, verse 29, thus saith, the, thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, deceive you. He's speaking to the Jewish people. For he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand, the king of Assyria. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of, king Assyria, of the king of Assyria. That is exactly what Hezekiah is going to do. He is going to tell the people, trust the Lord. He will not allow this place to be given to the king of Assyria. Things are not going, things are not going well. The king of Assyria is a very powerful, a very powerful ruler. Verse 31, Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, surrender to me. Then eat ye every man of his own vine, every one of his own fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his sister, until I come, the king of Assyria, and take you away to a land like your own land, and a, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and of honey, that ye may live and not die, and hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuaded you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king out of the hand of the king of Assyria? He starts going through all the land that they've taken over and the gods of those lands. One thing about, the, about this time period, every nation had a different god or a different set of gods. They believed Jehovah. 
to be just like any of the other gods. We know that our Lord God is not like any other God. He is the only God. The only true and the living God. All, all other gods are but idols. They, they, they are uh, either created by man out of, out of wood or stone or some other, some other precious, uh, some precious metal or created of man's devices. Jehovah is not that way. He is not that way. But the people, verse 36, he goes through all of, all of those places. Verse 36, but the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, saying, answer him not. Then came, then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah, with their clothes rent, and told him the words of Rabshakeh. They had torn their clothes. They were distressed. Oh, he's going to come against us. He's got such a powerful army. He's going to take us. We can't do anything. There's nothing we're going to be able to do to him. Verse, uh, chapter 19 and verse 1, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and, clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went and sought after Egypt to seek their help, to no. seek their guidance, seek their wisdom. Egypt, in many places in the Scriptures, is given for the world. He does not go to the world. He does not go to men. He goes into the house of the Lord. Things are going downhill very quickly in his world. Things are going down. Where does he go? He looks up. He looks to the Lord. He goes to him. And uh, continuing on, come down to verse, uh, verse 5. So the servants of, of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Syria have blasphemed me. And behold, I will send a blast upon him. He shall hear a rumor, shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Rabshakeh returned, found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard, heard that he was departed from Lachish. So he had heard a rumor of war and he had departed. He had, gone, he had gone just as the Lord God said he would. Did exactly as the, as the Lord God said. Rabshakeh writes a letter saying a very similar thing. You must surrender or else we will take you over. No gods of the nations have been able to deliver them and they, your God will not deliver you. Do not believe Hezekiah. Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers, the letter that Rabshakeh had written, and read it. And Hezekiah, again, did not seek after men, did not look at what's going on. He did not walk by sight. Because had he walked by sight, he would have surrendered. There's nothing that they could have done. They could not have stood up to the king of Assyria. Instead, he walked believing God. He walked by faith, went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Lord, there's nothing we can do about this. He sought after the Lord God and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, not just the kingdom of Israel, all kingdoms of the earth. And thou hast made heaven and earth. He comes down, he continues to pray. Come down to verse 19. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, Save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Because he is the only Lord God that ended up saving a people out of the hand of the king of Assyria. All the other false gods did not deliver. 
our Lord God is one that delivers. He is one that saves. And He is the only one that can do those very things. Verse 32, coming to the end, we see, we see that the foundations were being destroyed in King Hezekiah's day. There's nowhere for him to turn. He's, his kingdom is going to be turned upside down. He must surrender if he walks by sight. But he looks up. He looks up and the Lord God delivers on exactly what he said he would do. 32, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote it in the camp of the Assyrians and hundred and fourscore and five thousand. The angel of the Lord smote a hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrian soldiers. And, and when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. You track, you, you track angel of the Lord through the Old Testament? You'll see, especially in Exodus chapter 3, the angel of the Lord speaks as Jehovah. It's our, it's our Lord Christ here that does this very thing. He is the one who doth judge and make war. He, he, is, the one, he is the one in Revelation 19 whose vesture is dipped in blood. He is the one who, who saves his people here. He is the one who delivers them. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nishrosh his God, that Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And, and es Hadon, his son, reigned in his stead. The Lord God fulfilled his promise to the team that he would deliver his people Israel, and that the king of Assyria shall never come against Israel again. He will, he will never cast a bank against it. And by the way he came, he shall, he shall return. He shall not come into this city ever, ever, ever more, ever again. He died. The Lord God delivered on that promise. Hezekiah, when things were going down, when the foundations were looking like they were going to be uh, turned over, uh, turned upside down, he did not look at what was going on in the world. He did not look and, and, and trust his eyes. Because our eyes will lie. Well, our feelings will lie. But the word of God is truth. Amen. Truth forever. Amen. The Lord God will take care of us. He will see us through. May we look to Him, just as Hezekiah did. Trusting in Him. Looking to Him always. Even, especially when the foundations have been destroyed. Let's bow before Him. Our Father and our God, we thank You. For your word, we thank you for the.